Hey guys, welcome back to the Archie Coach Cast. This week we have Doc McEwen, Larry Wise, and our friend Justin talking about traditional archery, talking about generational archery, about archery getting passed down from generation to generation. And as always, that good feeling that you get from it. I um, think you'll enjoy this podcast. This episode is kind of covers a variety of things. We talk about everything from the Goodman Ranch where Byron Ferguson, our friend, does his um, schools, his shooting schools, to um, fly fishing, to everything under the sun. So thanks again, and check it out. Done over the week. I was able to go to Kentucky this weekend, Larry, for I saw that. Outdoor Target National, or Outdoor Target out, uh, S3DA. 3d nationals out in london kentucky and we had a a real good weekend pennsylvania s3da came home with um uh all around a couple of champions a bunch of top uh like top five um pretty much just stellar performances across board my son he shoots so he shoot well it used to be called middle school but now in s3da it's called just the youth class he shot up 12 on Friday, and then Saturday when he shot his second round, um, he like he came out of the gates on fire. First target, boom, 12, a lower 12. Second target, missed the 12, literally by a half inch, quarter inch. And then 10 more targets, he missed every 12 by less than a half inch to an inch. <laughs> and he was like beside himself and i said son i said some days some days you're the bug some days you're the windshield so you yeah, just gotta keep trying you just gotta keep trying and he did and still ended up uh, up for the day but you know i think he was he was definitely hoping for more i said hey i was like you that's the archer you were this weekend now you know where do you need to improve for next year he still has one more year in that class so he's still on the younger side for that that age group but anyways um well, welcome back to Archie Coachcast, everyone. And as you you guys can see that are viewing us on Facebook right now, um, we are streaming live. We are recording these podcasts live. Sure, the edited version might be a little bit different, but you get the firsthand notion. This is this is the um, this episode is the first of our live streams, so we're happy that you guys are joining us for that. And I just want to double check. I think we're on episode 14 right now. Does that sound about right, Doc? Just no. looked it up. I wrote, I, and I went to write it down, and I didn't. I think it probably is. Yeah, yeah I think I think we're, I'm, I'm looking at it. Let me double check this. Yes, episode 14. The last one, episode 13, was where Doc and I uh, got to talk about um, his, uh, his teaching an old dog new tricks and him taking on Barbo. Um, but this episode's different. So this episode, we have uh, a PA native and friend, Justin Contra. Justin, thanks for joining us. Hi, um, thank you. Just give a real quick, before we kind of dive into the meat and potatoes of this, this episode, um, you know, give us like who you are, uh, what kind of archery you shoot, and what you do, you know, for a living. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, so thank you for having me. I, I appreciate it. And, you know, I, I look forward to the conversation today about archery and, and everything else. Um, so a little bit about myself. So from a, a profession, right? Um, by education, I'm a chemist. 
So I studied organic chemistry for quite a few years, uh, both in and out of state. So um, that was uh, fun and challenging and, and I think bleeds a little bit over into, into some of the archery and the outdoors. Um, with that background in chemistry, I've worked in applied material sciences for the last decade or so. Um, I, I spent five to seven years in biomedical material research and development. So looking at different types of materials for implants inside and then also um, just outside the body. So that was a lot of fun. And uh, since then, I, I've transferred into uh, lubricant additives. So um, a, a kind of parallel field that's still dealing a lot with chemistry and polymers and how we can use them in our everyday life. Um, but yeah, now, now it's uh, not so much focused on medical materials, but much more in the, in the automotive and the industrial space. So looking at materials there. Cool. On the personal side, yeah, we'll, we'll I'm sure dive into all of this in, in a bit of depth, but, you know, being an outdoorsman is, is the huge part of who I am. So, um, you know, pretty much any time of the year you can find me outside, you know, whether that is uh, keeping my archery in tip top shape, which is something that I do frequently, mostly a, uh, a longbow trad shooter now, um, although I did kind of work from, uh, you know, at first with a compound and sort of transitioned into the traditional game. Um, but in addition to archery, I'm an avid, avid, avid fly fisherman. And so I'm, I'm into that as, as much as I can. And again, that that's a year round passion and pursuit. Um, but but really everything from training the new bird dog that I got to, uh, you know, chasing anything with fur or feathers. Uh, yeah, you can uh, almost always find me outdoors. You know, it's crazy. The fly fishing trad archery thing definitely goes hand in hand. There's no question. <laughs> it, it sure does. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I think they both, you, you know, if you're just talking about something that requires a feel and a feeling and an immersive experience, uh, yeah, fly fishing and traditional archery, you find a lot of crossover. You hang out in a lot of fly shops, you also find quite a few uh, traditional archers there too. Yeah, my I'm sure you, I would think you've heard of him. Maybe not. My good friend John Demmer is a serious, serious fly fisherman and mm -hmm. one of the top barebow shooters in the world. And, you know, like, I mean, I, I've recorded podcasts with him on the barebow project where he's tying flies while we're <laughs> podcasting. Like, that's just yep. that, that's where his brain goes. But anyway, so, Doc, you you know, you know, Justin better than, than the rest of us, for sure. You want to kind of preface the conversation um, and let everybody know, like where your focus, where your brain is with this one. Okay. Well, uh, you know, I've been on the uh, twice now in the last few weeks, uh, beginning to introduce a subject that's very uh, dear to me that I introduced through my organization, uh, Gray Fox Archery Association almost 10 years ago, and that's my uh, Archery for Life program. And uh, uh, that came out of a great deal of research uh, that was mainly done in, in, in the neurosciences, um, but, but, but other related sciences, because most people who shoot bows, I found as once I took the bow up again, and, and we won't go into this much, but. I, I'd been an archer since I was a young child, probably seven uh, or so. And then I had a stroke uh, just about uh, 12 years ago. I'd been out of archery briefly for a while because I, I, I'm very, very busy with my professional life and 
uh, private practice in psychoanalysis uh, using uh, a theory that is about the natural system and applying that to, to health and, and wellness for human beings, uh, emotional as well as physical. And so when I had my stroke, I got back into the uh, into archery because I needed to do something that would create focus and, and a lot of exercise to get my strength back. Hi, Sean. Um, and so uh, in, in doing that, I, I started to realize a lot of other people were saying that the same thing I was feeling, that when they shoot, not necessarily traditionally, but when they shoot their bow, and regularly, it makes them feel good. And that's what I've pursued as a research question for now 12 years. And during that time, I met a lot of interesting people and uh, Justin's one of those uh, very interesting people that I get to meet in archery. And um, I, I, I know him to be uh, the, uh, at the early stages of uh, a real strong commitment to archery for life. And when I say archery for life, I'm not just talking about one's tenure here in the planet, but I'm talking about life in terms of a, a, a fullness of life, enjoyment of life, and, and actual, we, we have the term in our language, which isn't in many other languages, well-being. And that they flip it, and it means being well, but it means to be in a good relationship with what's inside of you, what's outside of you and that's all of the all the aspects of the natural system the bow and arrow put us into that and that goes back many many generations and here as as we have with uh all of us up on the top line here um someone in our families probably introduced us to archery in some fashion and that got passed on to us archery has been passed down for hundreds of thousands of generations on this planet. No one now, it is now known exactly how long the bow has been on the planet. And the answer is no one knows because it's really been here time immemorial. And we can see that the, the human brain and the capacity to do those various motions that we do and, and, and the development of the bow and archery really uh, developed uh, in sync with each other. Uh, Justin mentioned fly fishing. Uh, a lot of the enjoyment of fly fishing is the actual motion of, of casting and so forth. And then the thrill of seeing a, a, a trout coming up from uh, a, a falling fly onto the water is, is exciting. But I, I asked uh, um, Justin to join us because um, he is now another generation of enthusiastic art archers who will continue to pass this on to other people. And I just wanted him to tell us a little bit about how he got into this, why it's important to him, and why he would see it as something to pass on to, to others. And um, so like he says, when he isn't trout fishing, he's shooting his bow and hunting. He's been very successful in the hunts. And also when he isn't shooting his bow or trout fishing, he does work some. But it seems to me, I wouldn't want to say this internationally on something where he could get caught, but it seems to me that he has a heck of a job that can allow him to do all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I've always worked for myself. My boss is a real pain in the butt. So I don't get that much time off. 
<laughs> Tell us ab about your, your grandfather, how you got into this. Sure, sure. So, you know, as, as Doc said, um, you know, my connection to the outdoors is definitely linked to the relationship with uh, my maternal grandfather. So I had the privilege of growing up. I was just down the street from him a quarter mile or so. Um, and so from, you know, the, the time that I was really, really little, I mean, I, I think I was still in diapers. Uh, my grandfather was taking me all over, basically all over with him, all over the country, all over the outdoors. And when I was young, he was still working professionally. His, his title at Woodstream, I believe he was a, a wildlife engineer, right? And, and what that meant for him was he was intricately involved in the design and development of animal traps. And not just limited to, you know, like the, the heyday of the fur boom in the 1970s and 80s, right? With foothold traps and, and body style traps, conibear traps. Um, he did all of that and, and, he, and he was a, a pioneer in terms of, of design and implementation of, of animal traps and their ethical use. Um, but he also transitioned then as, as the fur boom went away into developing, you know, residential and he always called them hairy homeowner traps. So things to catch, you know, cage traps for those groundhogs and skunks in your backyard. Um, professional wildlife traps for nuisance animals. So those would be like glue boards, um, as Doc had mentioned, you know, the, the little mouse traps that everybody thinks of with the square block of trees for the trigger, right? All those types of, of animal traps he worked on over his extensive 35 to 40 year career um, in Woodstream in, in Lidditz, Pennsylvania. And what was great about that and me being sort of tangential to his profession and to his work was he was constantly traveling the country, educating folks, um, whether it were, it, it would be state wildlife agencies on how to manage, you know, predators or nuisance invasives or, or that type of thing. Um, or it was actually, hey, I've got some new traps and we have to go try them out, right? And you had to travel to different regions, um, you know, to, to have that access and, and that um, ability to try out those new, new designs and new traps, right? And so I was fortunate at a young age, I, I went to many, many trapping conventions and I got to meet uh, some of the legendary old timers um, that had been in the game for a really, really long time. And it was there I got to be a part of, you know, the conversations my grandfather would have with his friends and colleagues, um, but then experienced different parts of the country, different types of, of animals and wilderness and, and all those types of, of um, outdoor, again, there were experiences that you could only have if you knew someone like my grandfather that had such a connection to the outdoors. Um, and so really it, it was all about, you know, from I was very young, getting outside, trapping, hunting, and then we always fished too. Um, you know, so you joked, you know, what kind of job do I have that I get to fish all the time? My grandfather had the best job because his, his job was actually working with wildlife and trapping. And then when he wasn't doing that, he got to fish. Um, so for him, it really was uh, almost all day, every day, he was able to, to pursue those different passions. Um, and I was lucky enough to, to tag along for, for a good chunk of it. We cut you into archery. 
Sure. So again, being uh, such an outdoorsman, right? I, I spent every fall in the woods, and whether it was you know hunting um, small game or deer with with rifles, shotguns, muzzleloaders, flintlocks, um, I was always out and about, right? And and when October and November would roll around, I would always see these bucks, right? And and they'd be chasing does and making scrapes and doing rubs and all that kind of thing. And I never wanted to wait until rifle season uh, to go after them. That was my my uh, my thing, right? Because man, they were out here. I was seeing them. I knew where they were moving. Um, but you couldn't hunt with a rifle until December, and, and the flintlock was even later than that in, in January. Um, so you know, kind of late in high school and then early into college, I decided, you know, archery would be a great way to get me a few extra weeks to chase those bucks that were out running around in, in October and November. Um, and, you know, that that's really what got me into it. Archery was sort of a means or a tool uh, to get after those deer that I had been seeing when I was out squirrel hunting and, and grouse hunting and that type of thing. And that that was kind of why I was really interested in it. It, it you know, it wasn't a um, just about archery and then hunting bled into it. It was all about hunting, and then archery was it was sort of the means to get me out there. So um, I, I went to Lancaster Archery. Um, that was sort of the, you know, I was, I was fortunate growing up in Lidditz. I was real close, right? So it was an easy drive. And I walked in and I kind of told the folks what I was looking for and what I wanted to do. And, and I walked out with a, uh, a Hoyt compound all set up. And, you know, six months later, I was, uh, yeah, I, I got my first deer with that compound. So that's impressive. There seems to be a, a definite. How long, how many years have you been hunting now, Justin? Well, oh, geez. Uh, I mean, I was tagging along before I could even get a hunting license. So, right. you know, probably, yeah, 20, 20 plus years, 25 years. Yeah. But so many, so many rifle hunters or you grew up in a household of rifle hunters. And then, you know, you see these deer, you're driving early fall in the mm -hmm. middle of fall, you're seeing deer run around all over the place. I'm like, well, I want to, I want to go hunt then because the tradition <laughs> is what there's a, there's a great YouTube video out there where, where they compare like people who grew up in an Archie hunting household and people who grew up in like a, the rife deer camp household where yeah. you yep. go away for the weekend or the long weekend when Mondays were the start of mm -hmm. rifle season and you'd go for that week and you know, they're cutting shirt tails off of people and you know, here you, you come from that sort of, and then it's the first step is compound. And then that transfers to, I think Doc said earlier, a SAMIC. And then that yep. SAMIC has turned into a Ferguson bow, which we'll get to. And I don't want to steal anybody's thunder, but that's Doc's longtime friend. And, sure. you know, I've, I've been blessed to become a friend of Byron Ferguson through Doc's relationship with him. You know, and just like there's this, there's this life. When you talk about the lifelong stuff, like that's a, that's a transformation. That's not, that's mm -hmm. like you, uh, the evolution of, of a, of a bow hunter. You come in as a rifle hunter compound first trad bow, you know, and then it's just this big, long, you just keep, you keep diving deeper and the, we get further and further away from modern bow hunting, the longer it seems we get into bow hunting. I did the exact same thing. Sure. 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 I think, I think too, you know, I came from a, uh, 
a unique outdoor experience as well, because I definitely had, since I was a kid, that weekend deer camp that you were talking about. Shirt, I've lost a shirt tail or two in my younger <laughs> days, especially. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely came from that. And everybody knows the opening day of, of rifle season in Pennsylvania, it's almost like a holiday, right? Tons of gunshots, deer running around everywhere. It's exciting. You see a lot of animals and, and that is great. But, you know, I think for me, transitioning to archery was a little bit probably easier than for most folks, not the mechanics of shooting the bow that fought me claw tooth and nail, right? I think it does for a lot of folks. Um, I'd say it still does. But um, for me, because I spent a lot of my youth, you know, trapping and, you know, I think if you're a really good trapper, so if you know how to get an animal to step in a two foot circle, right? And even more than that, if you know how to get them to step in maybe a two inch circle, um, you have to know a lot about how animals move, where they like to be, where they don't like to be. You have to be cognizant of yourself. So the scent you're leaving behind. I mean, there are a lot of different factors into being a really good trapper, right? And they all come down to understanding animals, animal movement, and just the general overall set of woodsmanship skills, right? That you really have to have. So my transition to archery was probably easier than most folks because for years I had always been thinking about you know, where are animals going to be? And I got to get really, really close to them, right? And I don't want them to know I'm here. A lot of rifle hunters don't have that mentality. I mean, in, in when I was growing up deer hunting, you know, we had these tree houses that had wood stoves in them, you know, and you just sat there and you had the fire burning, you know, and you had deer running around. So that's very, very different than, okay, I want to get within 10 yards of a three and a half year old buck, right? That's hard. And it takes a very different skill set. Um, yeah. And, and so for me, like I said, the, the transition was easier than I think for most folks in terms of, of finding success and getting close to deer. So that wasn't necessarily the hard part for me. Um, but it was really understanding, you know, the mechanics of the bow, the equipment, the selection, and then of course, you know, executing that shot, right. Those, those were the challenging things. Sure. And, you know, you talked about the progression of a bow hunter. Um, you know, for me, it, it's funny what you said was exactly true. So I hunted with a compound for, oh, it was about five years, I think. And every year I, I was fortunate. I put in the time, of course, put in the practice, but I was always able to fill the tags that I wanted to. So I was very fortunate there. And then around year five or so I started, you know, I got that, you know, less expensive Samic bow. I wasn't real confident, right? I thought, well, I'm going to get it and I'm going to start shooting in the backyard, right? That was really just it. And, you know, slowly, slowly, right, you get more confidence. I, I transitioned from that to a longbow as, as well. So I was, you know, I was doing a lot of shooting with that. Fell in love with it mostly because I shot it really well. And by accident, the arrows were tuned, I think is what really happened. Uh, so I went from uh, not shooting so well with uh, a different bow because I don't think I had the right arrows. And then by chance, this longbow, it just, it just like dropped out of the sky. Man, I could shoot that thing. Um, I had a couple gap years where, you know, when the rut was really on and I knew I was going to be on deer. I was still taking that compound out because I just wasn't a hundred percent confident in that uh, longbow yet. Um, but then really now the, the past three years, it's, it's been, you know, overwhelmingly 90 plus percent has, has really been sticking with, uh, with the longbow and traditional archery. 
So yeah, the everything you said from kind of starting with the deer camp mentality and and uh, one, you know, what I would say style and culture of hunting to then getting into archery and sort of transitioning through the different phases that a lot of hunters have. Um, yeah, I, I'd say I'm very, uh, very typical, very typical in that sense. Hey, you, you said about rifle hunters hunting in like little mini cabins with heaters that's the way larry hunts archery just so you know so, oh yeah <laughs> no I'm just, I'm just kidding maybe 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 this year i heard he's building a, a, a tower or two oh, he's looking for that mute button yeah <laughs> yeah they're pulling the knife out of my back <laughs> oh larry we're just playing with you. you've been too quiet so you know, but you might, I don't know. I bet you like, I'll go back to, I'll probably go back to compound at some point. Like if I can't pull a traditional bow, I may go back to compound. I still enjoy shooting the compound, to be honest, like, especially sure. 3D. I enjoy a compound at 3D, but I'll take, I'll take a bare bow rig or a trad rig for hunting and, and competition target any day. Just it's, like, enjoy it's, it more. Yeah. It's something too, right? I don't think they're mutually exclusive or at least they're not for me. It seems like some guys it can be, and, and we can draw another parallel to fishing, right? Cause again, I fish all the time. So, you know, you, you have a lot of guys, you know, for me shooting a, a compound bow is a little bit more formulaic. It's a little bit more mechanical. It's just really how I compartmentalize it. And to me, that's a lot like gear fishing, conventional fishing, right? Um, with bait casters and spinning rods and that's great and occasionally i love to do that i, I still get out um but you know when you shoot a, a longbow to me that's that's a lot like fly fishing right yes there are a lot of mechanics that you have to have down and for some folks shooting a bare bow is just as technical and mechanical as shooting a compound for me it was all about feel right and so it was just really through a lot of trial and error and a lot of, of shooting and, and repetition and really understanding what it should feel like and having that positive feedback loop of, of a good shot or a good cast, right? If you're, if you're thinking in terms of fly fishing, um, you know, that for me is, is what really drove me to traditional archery. And of course, right, there is an added challenge, um, you know, especially when you throw the, the hunting uh, component into it, because, you know, uh, I was always a guy with my trad bow, I practiced out to 30 or 40 yards, but shots on animals were always 15 or under. That was kind of my, my limit. Right. And, you know, when you're talking about the difference between being able to make say a 40 yard shot, which is the comfort zone for a lot of guys with compound tackle, right. Um, and making a 15 yard shot, you draw that circle around your tree stand. That is a whole different level of intimacy with that animal, right. To, to be able to make those shots. So, um, yeah, for, for me, there's, there's definitely, it's about that feel. It's, it's something about watching the trajectory of that arrow, those big white fletchings as they fly into the target. I love that. Um, but there's also an added level of, of challenge to it. Right. And you got to shoot a lot. You got a, a big part of it is, is shooting so much that you're really confident, right. You know, you can pull it off and then being able to execute. Doc, for sure. you, will you um, maybe unravel the relationship here? This is the Archery Coach cast, and normally, not all the time, with exception to a few of the episodes, we're talking anything from shooting form for compound to recurve to some bare bow stuff. But here we are, 
we're having a podcast that so far the conversation has been primarily hunting. And that might surprise a few people because I know a lot of people follow us and there's a lot of viewers right now on Facebook that are, I know they're, they're avid hunters um, and target shooters. Can you unravel the relationship a little bit, Doc, and why, why this conversation is happening for them? Uh, uh, for me, why, why it's happening is, is the uh, transgenerational uh, passing forward, uh, perhaps within families, that's traditionally, I think, how it's happened, uh, to develop an enthusiasm for, uh, uh, in this case, hunting or being, being outdoors and, and becoming familiar with it and, and becoming comfortable uh, in, in the out of doors, which is part of our, um, uh, I, I think, a, a real need that we have, of, um, uh, especially in modern times when a, a lot of our relationship with our surroundings is, is, is done this way. And, and I'm not knocking that. I mean, I, I'm sitting in front of one right now <clears throat> in front of them for 15 or 20 years now. Um, but the, the more we can have a connection with a, an activity, in this case, archery or possibly fly fishing, but we're, th this is a, a, an archery program, so we're talking archery. But arch archery is about movement. And, and, and it's, it's a relationship with, within ourselves to the outside and the outside in, in here. And, 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 and the bow and arrow have become a, a, a means for that connection to take place. And, and, and I've done a lot of research, as, as many of you know, in the last 10 or 15 years now, people will say, well, when I shoot my bow, I come home from the office and I go out and shoot for a while, or I come over to, in this case, because uh, I'm close to Lancaster Archery too, I go over to the range, shoot a few arrows. It makes me feel good. It allows me to relax and so forth. And I started to explore that. And, and this is about that. It, it's about making that connection with that good feeling, because when we have that good feeling, we are in a proper relationship with our environment inside and out. And, and I, 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 I work in the medical field I have. I taught 50, uh, 41 years in the medical field about this connection with the entire system. So th this program is about that and how it gets passed from generation to generation. In this case, from a grandfather to a, to a grandson. Uh, in, in your case, Frank, from, from your father to you. Yeah. Same, same for Larry, same for myself. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but when my father, when I told my father I was gonna hunt with a bow, I mean, he, he looked at me like I was gonna go out with, 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 a, uh, with a hammer or something and try to get a deer. He was a rifle hunter couldn't imagine why what someone would want to do that but when, when when i did it the first time and brought that animal back and, i mean it was just amazing to to see what happened there and i used to shoot the pheasants that he would miss with my bow would he miss them with his 20 gauge and uh, that that created an interesting relationship between us it was, it was a good one so th this program is is about that because integral to archery and integral to learning about archery is we need to have some kind of an emotional involvement with that. Larry talks about this when he talks about a, a, a proper uh, protocol of, of, of shooting. 
so that you know when you have that feel when you're pulling back and you have that feel as you transfer you know what the feeling is you know when it's to be and so forth and its relationship to finally the 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 uh, arrow being cast toward the target and and so um I, I believe that 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 Justin really sort of personifies this, and his enthusiasm for it. And uh, for me, with education, I've been an educator all my life. As as uh, to Larry and 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 Frank as well. And if you don't have an enthusiasm about education, if if education is just learning for the test which many people do that. And they, they end up with a summa cum laude to hang, hang on the dirty spot on the wall. You know, it's a wonderful thing. But there's no real love then for education. You know, a doctor, a philosophy means a love of learning, all right? It's a lifelong kind of thing. And that's what keeps us healthy, healthy as human beings and archery became a way of discovering that. And um, so, you know, this is a, 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 um, a program to help tie that together and the, the importance of, of that transfer of, of information, knowledge and experience to, uh, to others. And, and in the meantime, when I first started doing my research, just quickly, I, I thought probably only the traditional shooting was what could get us in contact with with all of those things involved in the internal and external system. Now, I, and and then I, after I had a stroke, I, I had to go to a compound bow for a while because I, I, I there, there's a bow hanging right here in the wall behind me that I've had for many many years, and it's a it's a 54 pound. I, I could barely bend the string after that. So I had to go with a little kid's bow, and then I transitioned up to a, uh, a mm -hmm. and learned to shoot that. And then I thought, well, the only way to really develop the feeling is the traditional. No, that's not so. Uh, the, the only bow that does not produce the relationship that creates the good feeling that's part of healthiness and, and our well-being is, is a bow that's stuck on the end of a stick that has a trigger to it. And I don't have anything against people having to use that or wanting to use that, but that, and, and I've had international rifle and handgun shooters tell me once they take up the bow, that there's, there's nearly no feeling in pulling that trigger that's equivalent to, to, to shooting the bow. Gosh, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, if Larry can, can you, Doc said something important where he said like at one point in time, time. The only tradition, like the traditional style of archery would produce that feeling. And we all know that now that, cause we all shoot compound as well. And we all play the different games. You know, your career has been built on developing competitive shooters. Can you, can you speak to that point of of like Doc realized that's, that wasn't the case. Can you speak to that? Like for you, for example, like you still shoot your bow. Why do you still shoot your bow? Your bow? I, I shoot my bows trying to get better. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get better than I was 
yesterday. I didn't shoot yesterday. I was so disappointed with myself. Uh, you know, I put up new field targets because I'm going to shoot some field in July and uh, a little bit. Uh, and I didn't get to practice yesterday. But uh, yeah, it, it's a personal challenge that uh, it gives you uh, where you are commanding your body. And uh, of course, that's from inside out. Uh, and the real feel comes from being part of the system, as, as Doc has mentioned, and understanding your part of the system. Uh, so, uh, you know, if you try to dominate the bow, any bow, uh, and try to make it shoot arrows in the middle, the bow will give you a lesson. Over and over again, it will give you a lesson because it, it does not react well when you try to dominate it. And, and Justin mentioned something I, I made a note about that, you know, compounders uh, feel comfortable shooting at deer out to 40 yards or maybe beyond a lot of them. And th this to me is uh, archers trying to dominate the bow mm. because shooting at deer at 40 or 50 yards, uh, you, you are at a decided disadvantage just from the sheer physics of uh, the speed of sound versus the speed of your arrow. You know, if you're shooting at deer at 50 yards, you don't understand the speed of sound and how much time that gives the deer to react. And then, then you're into a bad hit and a long blood trail. And that's not what I want to do. <laughs> and Justin marks out that 15-yard circle for his, for his uh, longbow. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm at 25 at the most. That's, and I'm really good at 15. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, well, it's like uh, the quote from Dirty Harry in one, one movie, you know, man has to know his limitations. Yeah, I, well, before we go down that, that road, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, think, I think to each their own. If you feel confident, I mean, listen, I've watched Levi Morgan kill deer at 70 yards with a compound numerous times. Not everybody's Levi Morgan, but, you know, today's bows are different. They are quieter. That's a whole other topic for another for another day. Yeah, but, but it's, uh, it's a thing, though. But everybody needs to have their own perception of like you need to understand a realistic perception of mm -hmm. where the efficiency is. Um but I want to go back to you talking about controlling the bow because there's a big there's in in the traditional bear bow world there's a there's a big discussion about that whole control topic and it's something that like you know and again I'll bring up Demer because I talked to Demer a lot and mm -hmm. we've always talked about like that idea of sort of you need to it, the idea is of letting go of the control in order to gain it become part of it, become part of the shot and embrace everything about the shot, embrace the, the movement of the bow afterwards, embrace the, 
the violence of the bow pushing the arrow out of your out of out of it put your body in a position that allows you to deal that with that at its highest capacity so that you can concentrate on the correct things and there's a there's like a popularity to you know the um maybe larry i don't know if you're following any of like the world archery stuff right now but there's rules that are being evaluated for like the idea of shooting like a trigger system in barebow, whether it's a fingernail on a tab or the fingernail in front of a grip, and they're mm-hmm. they're trying to, I don't personally care which direction they go because just like you said, if you try to control it, you're kind of going down the wrong path. But there's there's discussion on just trying to make the the playing field extremely level, and make it that everybody has to. The idea of barebow is just that it's bare no additional you know aids or anything like that and you know i think it's 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 that idea of becoming part of the bow doesn't matter if it's olympic recurve a bare bow a self bow or a compound you need to you need to learn to be part of the equipment be part i don't know if that came out right you're part of the shot you aren't separate from it you're joining the bow as an equal partner. Yeah. And, and that's evidenced in bow hand for a lot of people. So if you place your bow hand on the grip correctly, you know, you won't be choking it. It's just placed with the thumb pad on the grip. And that allows the bow to be consistent in its action of propelling the arrow. You know, if you grip, if you choke that grip, now the bow is being interfered with and can't do a good job. So you have to know your part and how you blend with the bow. Right. And Justin, as a longbow shooter, and I really want to get to a point where we talk about the Goodman Ranch and Doc's experience there, and maybe our future, um, maybe a future trip for all of us to Byron to 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 shoot with Byron. But I want the shooting a longbow. That's even more like there's a joke amongst us a little bit us barebow shooters. I mean, we're shooting an Olympic bow. You got tiller adjustments. You got all this stuff. And I talked about playing around with some longbow, like in competitive longbow. And my friend Gracie's like, "Why do you want to do that?" it's so much harder it really is like it but i mean it's even more more important when you take like larry you take you take the the notion of the way we shoot you try to shoot x after x after x with a compound and apply that to shooting a longbow and to get the accuracy that you want like it's even more crucial that i have found the few times that i've had the opportunity to play with like a really high-end longbow it's like it's super super important lightweight bows you know you can't you you really have to be part of the system yeah for sure so i know you know one of the things that i i always wanted archery to be positive right and so that's one of the reasons i don't get too obsessed with you know I don't shoot paper targets normally. Uh, my favorite one is a tennis ball on a string in front of like an old bag target. That's really what I love to shoot at. 
Um, and 3D targets, of course, deer and turkeys shooting out of a stand off my deck, all that stuff, right? I mean, that's that's what I love about archery. No range finder. You just look at what you want to hit and try to make it happen, right? Visualize it, try to make it happen. Um, so yeah, for me, it's not, it never was about shooting X's. I never put an insane amount of pressure on myself. It, that just wasn't how I approached it. You know, I said, when I got, when I got my first bow, you know, sort of that Samick again, it's kind of what everybody starts out with, I think, or a lot of folks, um, you know, for me, it was just like, well, I'm an archer. I can shoot my compound well enough to hunt with, right? So I always have that to fall back on because, again, that was the frame of me getting into archery. Um, so we'll just see what happens, right? And so, again, it was always kept as a very positive, um, do the best you can. Are you constantly improving? Are, are you reading what's out there, whether it might be, you know, Byron Ferguson's book or Howard Hill's book, right? I dragged some of those really old archery books out as well when I was kind of first learning. So for me, it was about sort of a journey and not necessarily where I have to be at a certain date. And so I think by just saying like, well, if I get good enough by this date, I'll take the bow into the woods. If I don't, well, I'll just keep shooting it. And if I get there, great. If I have to seek out more help, that's fine too. But for me, it was just all about keeping it positive, not getting down on myself when you have a bad afternoon or a bad couple of arrows and just keep moving forward, right? And, and I mean, that's also something like, if I go in the backyard and I shoot two bad arrows in a row, like I put the bow down and I'll walk away from it. Like I won't sit there and just keep hammering it to death, trying to fix whatever's going on. Right. So I, again, I, I don't, I know there are a lot of guys that, you know, shoot compounds when they first get into traditional archery, they want really good success right away. Right. They, they have an expectation of why can't I hit pie plates at 20 yards. Right. Um, but again, it's, it's a process. It takes time. There's a lot to learn. And yeah, for me, it was just always keep it positive. Like doc said, it's about feeling good. It's about enjoying what you're doing and not having necessarily an end date or a real hard goal set for yourself. Because then again, you just start putting pressure on. That's what it was for me. Now I don't shoot competitively at all. So I understand for, you know, competitive archers, I'm sure a lot of guys maybe thrive under that pressure or, you know, setting goals for themselves or how they push themselves to, you know, obtain new levels and new, but for me, um, you know, not a competitive archer. It, it was really about feeling good, keeping the right mindset and, and staying positive. And I, I, I really appreciate you saying that because it's one of the things that I want to see be part of, of these uh, presentations we do here is, is that it's not just directed towards a, you know, competitive formal shooting, that it's something that people can do and, and, and they can become part of this. And, and I, I, I truly believe that if you can learn archery and enjoy it, whether you're, you're working towards a, a, a goal at, for a competitive event, or if you're just doing it because it's something that's good for you and you're doing it on a, almost on a daily basis in my program, Archery for Life and involves a proper diet for that particular ind individual established by a, a, an actual blood test to tell you not only what foods you should be eating, how it should be prepared and how often you should be eating every day. If you do that 
and, and practice archery the way we're talking about it, either preparing for a competitive event or for just the enjoyment of doing it. And then the collateral exercises to keep your body in good shape to, to, to stand there and, and pull your bow. You put that together. You, you, I can tell you from a medical point of view, I'm not an MD, but I've taught, I'm a PhD who teaches MDs and I've taught hundreds of them. If, if, if you can keep yourself in that relationship to your internal and external system, you will be more healthy. Doesn't mean you're going to live a day longer than you were set out to live when the when the sperm hit the the egg, but it means you will be healthy. And 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 to me, uh, archery for life means that that it's 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 part of uh, it's a period of time our life, but it's for life. And 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 the good feeling, for longest time people said, well you a feeling cannot be passed transgenerationally, epigenetically, in other words. Now we can see, and it has been seen over 25 or 30 years, but now we can show it in terms of all the instrumentation we have to, to visualize what goes on in the brain, that when the person has a, a, a remarkable experience, the first person that ever shot an arrow and did something downrange that they couldn't do right at, at their hands when and the bear's coming at them, it's hard to push the bear away, you know. But if you can get some distance, then you can trouble the bear a little better. But the thing is, if, if you can put all these pieces together, you will be more healthy. You, you will live a, a, a more enjoyable and health, well life. With that well-being is, you flip it around, is being well. And, 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 and that's, that's one of the programs we're going to continue to present here and train other uh, coaches uh, to be able to pass this on to other people too. I mean, that, that, that's uh, so very important. And uh, so when someone has this good experience or it can be a bad experience, let, let's talk about PTSD for a second. You're driving your, your Hummer down down, down the road and a roadside bomb blows up and blows your buddy's guts all over you. That's not a good experience. Many people have had that that I've worked with, you know. How, how, can, you, how can you overcome that? Well, you can overcome it the exact way we're talking here is you can get yourself in a healthy relationship with what's going on around you and within your control by being within control within the entire entirety of the system. And then you can differentiate when you're walking through the grocery store and someone knocks a, a stack of cans over in the next aisle, that that was not a roadside bomb. I am not in danger and begin to get a hold of PTSD. And so all of these have very important components for our lifestyles these days. I'm convinced and many other people now that are looking at the brain and see how, how information, information, not just genetics, is passed from generation to generation, can see that that is probably somewhere at the root of Alzheimer's. Is that if we can learn more about how information is passed and then 
we can stay in better relationship. Many people, when, when they get old, and I'm, I, I, I'm not getting old, I'm there. You know, in my 82nd year, still pushing on. I have days that I just assume not to go out and do things. But if you keep yourself moving, that's, a, that's very, very important. It's all part of it. And archery is one of the greatest moving sports there is. There are, there are the other sports. I just don't like chasing little white balls on green fields, you know? So this Golf's is not why- putting the, food on the plate either. Pardon me? Golf isn't gonna put food on the plate either. Well, it can, you can, you can take the trophy. It's extremely difficult. Money you win and buy all the food you want, you know? Luck with all that. My friend Arnie Palmer said to me when he saw me, when he tried to train me to use the driver, he said after about the third time I almost ruined his club, he said, Dick McEwen, and we were sort of colleagues in the same town, stick to archery. <laughs> <laughs> My motion was not this. And so motion and emotion are the same side, are the two sides of the same coin. Archery, and and Larry Weiss is—is is that book coming out yet, Larry? It's all all about coaching and motion and all the different ways wow. that we have to keep people in motion and train them. Oh, not yet, right? No, not so yet on that subject. <laughs> It'll be an episode all of its own. Larry's new book comes out. We're just waiting for for the final. Uh, oh, yes. Wait, wait, wait. It'll come. Uh, Larry come. has a, a number of books, is uh, ten or so now altogether, I believe, and they seven. seven. Put one together. <laughs> well, the one that you put together this time took you quite a while to put together, and and interviews and contacts with great coaches, and. Mm -hmm. so, find out the help them find out and help others find out the importance of, of developing your plan and your plan for shooting the way Justin's doing that going out in his backyard and learning to shoot the same way every time because you're going to need that some moment when it's fit 12 yards from your tree the right buck comes in you're going to need to be able to do that just as calm as you did shooting at the tennis balls mm -hmm. in front of the target and yeah that, you know, Doc, you were talking about PTSD and the idea of, of how that can, how archery can help you deal with that. And it sort of parallels the idea of competition. And I know that we, we, we strive to, to, to expose all of the sides of the archery world, everything from trad archery and shooting, you know, for feel and for health and shooting for competition and elite level shooting. But it's still the same concept when you're training to be a competitor. Your goal is to shoot as many perfect or as near perfect shots as possible. Absolutely. And what do you need to do in order to do that as often as you can to get better? Because ultimately you get better by shooting the, your best shot as often as possible. Well, you know, on our side, in our neck of the woods, we're doing drills. We're doing, you know, these things that are highlighting aspects of the shot to make sure that we're doing that aspect we're breaking that shot down into incremental pieces and it's this isn't something that's new it's something that's been done for years but in the traditional archery world sometimes like it, it's been 
I don't want to call it overlooked. Rod Jenkins does a good job of sort of, and he might be worthwhile having having on here. Do you know who Rod Jenkins is, Larry? Have you ever heard of Rod? I don't. Uh, he's, no, he's, I can't he's, recall. He's, a, he's an extremely experienced, um, you know, traditional archery coach. Justin, do you know who Rod Jenkins is? No, I do not. Okay. Sorry. If you've, if you've watched anything through the push, I'm sure you've seen Rod. Oh, yeah. Come yeah, through. yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's definitely one of the, one of the, I would say, like, when it comes to me as a coach and the theories and the, and the beliefs that I have, he's probably the closest person to someone that parallels the way I coach and what I do. Um, I did not know who Rod was before. I got into, I would say I was about a year into Barbo. I had no idea who he was because I was removed from traditional archery. And then I got into competitive Barbo, which got me into traditional hunting. And it just, you know, I, and then you start seeing videos and I've never seen Rod speak other than like a couple of videos here and there, but you know, it's, it's that idea of let's do it to the best of our ability, find ways that we can repeat that as often as possible. And then you know, whether it's making us a better shooter for competition or it's making us a healthier person for the purposes of life. We're still doing that same concept. <laughs> Larry, we are learning to shoot it in the middle and then doing that again. Yes. <laughs> and, 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 and to pick up on that, uh, 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 an important point there is, you know, someone will say, well, oh, you're, you're a traditional shooter. And often what they sort of mean by that is you knock an arrow in the bow and then you just start flailing arrows downrange and hoping that something's going to meet a target or a target. More often than not, the target will meet the arrow someplace. And that's not it. it, it, it one of the great things for me going to Barnes School that he has at the Goodman Ranch in, uh, in Western Tennessee is to realize as, as he sees teaching, he, he breaks that down just the same way as we learn to transfer the hold with the compound bow or with the bare bow. And, and every shot, I mean, sometimes they can move along quickly, but every shot is done the same way and transfer the hole. And, and if you learn to shoot like that, th then you, you not only get yourself in this proper relationship with the, the internal and external system and get the benefits of that, you're, you're probably gonna enjoy either competitive target shooting or uh, shooting clay birds out of the air and, and this kind of thing, or, or, or hunting. And, 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 and you, you will be su successful at it. But the, 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 the steps are there. It's just not pulling up. And I mean, you, you see people do that. And, and, and some people get pretty good at that. But if you watch them carefully and they'll say, well, I, I don't think about any of those things. Well, their body's doing it, though, to do it the same way every time. If you don't do it the same way every time, every time you will get a different outcome. Right. That's... And that's, that's something I surely learned from Larry and in, 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 in working with him and teaching other coaches and but being taught by him in, in compound shooting. I, I never had a compound bow in my hand until I had to put one in my hand when I was briefly disabled from a stroke. And I'm glad I did. I really, in, in, like Frank saying, I, I, I enjoy shoot, shooting all of those 
and now the bare bones is going to be my my final swan song here. Uh, I'm going to tackle that sucker and help help it make me uh, learn a new thing about archery. At 82 years old, can can you Doc? Can you talk about your experience being at the Goodman Ranch? I know, like we have talked to Byron. Um, he's 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 a busy guy. Um, we want him to come on the podcast and in the worst way, we just got to connect with him. Justin, you have a Ferguson bow doc. You've been to the Goodman ranch. You've taught with and shot with Byron multiple times. Can you talk about what, what, what he does at the Goodman ranch? Um, we need to get Byron on and talk about the Goodman ranch and what, well, and, that, and that's going to happen, but I, I think he's been traveling and I tried to contact him the other day. And then two hours later, I realized they were having a terrible storm through that whole area no wonder he wasn't answering the bed unless he has it uh, answering the phone unless he has it under the bed or in the basement so that uh the the goodman ranch is developed by a, a, a fellow named mike goodman uh who bought a large section of land just uh, it would be maybe 50 or 60 miles some um, 60 miles west or east excuse me of memphis and it's just a beautiful piece of wooded land and, and, and well-kept and the trees well-kept. And there's a, 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 a fair-sized herd of buffalo there, a nice herd of elk. Uh, it's all under fence because he does have some exotic animals too that are there for hunting too. Some small herds, a small herd of, I think they're called red deer. I guess they have those long, thin racks and so forth. They're native whitetail there. He keeps the bears out and tries to keep the coyotes out and they hunt turkey there and so forth. And uh, during the seasons, you have to have a, a, the license for Tennessee, uh, but in the off seasons, and I think it's licensed through his um, uh, uh, what do you call uh, uh, outfitters license or something like that. But so you, 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 you pay the hunt, you can fish there too. Uh, you stay there, absolutely wonderful meals. Byron ha has selected that place for his training school that takes place um, usually the second weekend, I believe of June. And so that's just passed. And then again in November uh, to teach people to, to shoot the longbow and, and you, you bring your own bow or you can shoot one, one, one of his, you, you learn to fletch an arrow. You, you learn to do a, uh, make a Flemish, uh, string for your own bow and, and, and tune it properly and learn to shoot properly both at paper targets and at, um, um, fl flying targets that are not the, 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 uh, Claybirds, but they're a bigger target, and it's a lot of good fun and a lot, a lot of great experience. And this is what I'm hoping that th those who have gathered around Byron, not in a cultish kind of way, but uh, have been trained by him, that some of us uh, would would come back again here, maybe not this fall because it's getting awful close already. Uh, but sometime next year, and and have a three or four day. Uh, uh, time with with Byron and with Mike, maybe do a little hunting or sharing with each other what's worked good for uh, you know for us and uh, make that part of uh, one of the regular things we do through through our uh, 
uh, International Archery Institute. And when I was there, uh, the couple times I was there, uh, there were people from other countries um, and, and people that come from all over this uh, United States and Canada on a regular basis. It's a great place to be. Yeah, I would love to, I would love to get down there to um, the Goodman Ranch with Byron. I, not even just that. I mean, I would love for us to have like a, um, I don't want to call it a rendezvous, but like a, a not just traditional archery, not just compound, like a group of, of, of bow hunters um, and archery enthusiasts that are interested into some like elite level coaching, but at the same time, like really honing the idea of being part of the bow and you get these people together and you're teaching them different styles, different techniques, but you're still, you're still teaching them the same thing. A couple of different movements apply, but you know, get these people together. I mean, that's just something that would be so cool for us to be able to put together and, and, you know, I think there would be some major self-reflection changes on their approach to hunting and why they hunt or why they shoot a bow and how they shoot a bow. If you could get to just a day or two with people and explain, you know, kind of that process uh, that you've uncovered doc that I don't know if it's that you are, have really done an, an amazing job of defining being part of the bow and the natural system that goes along with it. Well, like I say, I, I didn't discover anything. I just uncovered what's been there uh, for a few hundred thousand years. And, uh, you know, our bodies and neurology have changed over that period of time. And there is evolution, you know, and, but at the same time, we're, we're basically this, when we pull up and shoot and have that good feeling, we, we were next in line after the the uh, our uncle Archer who shot the first arrow because the feeling that he had was passed. It's the, the theory is is called the engram theory. You can look it up. Just look up engram theory, and it's how a, a, an, ex, an an outstanding or remarkable experience becomes embedded in the neuron in, on the dendron of the nerves and is passed forward. Uh, generations after generations epigenetically. And, and those are an extraordinary experience, extraordinarily good or extraordinarily bad. And we can learn how to participate in that and keep ourselves healthy. And I'm so, sticking to it. That's the, I think that we're, we're more than an hour into this. Yeah. Uh, which is uncharacteristic for me because I'm usually like prompt on the 45 minute mark. Um, but the conversation was just too good. So what were you going to say, Doc? Thank uh, you, Justin. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Justin. Thanks for joining us. Good to hear from you. These conversations. Yeah. Uh, no okay. problem. Come shoot with us, bud. Yeah. You're not far away. Come <laughs> shoot with us. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, oh, for sure. Glad you could join us. Um. And I am going to uh, I'll tell everybody before we completely log off here, you can follow the Archie Coachcast on YouTube and you can watch this video version. Um, thankfully, there's not a whole lot of editing that needs to be done in this one um, at all. Actually, it, this was a great conversation and went perfect. 
um, that, that will be on our YouTube channel. You can find the audio version on pretty much wherever you listen to the podcast. It's Spotify, Apple, Anchor, Podbean. I think it's on pretty much all of them um, for the audio version. And you can come back, you know, please like if you're if you are into all things archery, this really is probably out of all of the podcasts that I listen to. Um, and I do listen to a lot of them. Um, you know, we, we cover a lot of everything, everything from advanced compound shooting to, to coaches and instructing to really the, the health and wellness side of what archery can do for you with Doc's involvement. I mean, Doc is super passionate about this stuff. And it's, this is the second one, second episode that's very specific to that side, not including the interview I did with Doc talking about his transformation to Berba. And, you know, and if you guys have uh, uh, topics of interest, if you have guests that you're interested in, um, you know, don't hesitate to reach out to us either through Facebook or just archeruniversity at gmail.com. You can send us an email. Um, you know, we're readily available and we're open to, to your level of interest to talk about it. Um, you know, it's one of those podcasts that is very all-inclusive, but it's, you know, and, and maybe I'm definitely being maybe biased here, but it's definitely some pretty in-depth conversation about those topics. Um, we cumulatively with experience, like we've got a few years under our belts and I'm the youngest one of this trio. Um, but like, I mean, I've had a bow in my hand for 40 years now. So 41 years, I guess, technically. Um, so like we've, you know, I've been around the block and we like to just share as much of the information as we can from the different directions that we go. So thank you everybody for watching. Um, and thanks for especially joining our, uh, our Facebook live. This is the first for us. So I hope everything went well. Um, Facebook Live has come to a close, and right. that's it, gentlemen. <laughs>